ones from recent years, Chad Henney and Jake Long. So that should be fun to watch tonight on ESPN at 8.30. For everyone in studio, I'm Jeremy Kreisberg saying so long and good night from Ann Arbor. Gives to Perry. Perry through the middle. Touchdown, Michigan. And the Wolverines have won it in overtime. Michigan wins by a score of 27 to 24. And the team storms the field to mob Chris Perry. WCBN Sports, 88.3 FM, Ann Arbor. WCBN.org. On to attempt it for the Wolverines. Holds her breath at Arbor as Navarre gets set. Places down. Kick is up. It's long enough. It's good. It's good. Michigan wins the game. Michigan shocks Washington. And the Wolverines are victorious. Every experience is a learning experience, including LSD. There's no such thing as a flashback, Danny. You need to get a job so that you can curb this free-form anxiety of yours. WCBN FM Ann Alba. It's free-form. 88.3 Anya Tosta. Well, uh, good evening and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer. And uh, I guess we'll start talking politics in a second. I just wanted to give out a quick brain damage award to Major League Baseball. How on earth can you have a baseball playoff game featuring a rather rather large market in the Eastern time zone starting at 9 o'clock and the game's still on at like 2 in the morning? Wow. Idiotic. Was that that Philly, uh, Philly's Colorado, Colorado game? game. Yeah, and, I saw you know, part of that. It was it was so cold out there that uh, the game had a slow pace going. Yep, lots of pitching changes, and you know this is the playoffs. There's all kinds of manager moves. Uh, you know these people have to get realistic, and uh, they get a brain damage award. I'm not a fan of either team, but I watched a little bit of the game. It was actually a great game, but. The boys and girls of Philadelphia aren't going to be up at 2 in the morning unless, of course, lots of them didn't go to school today. And that's what's wrong with uh, the whole TV baseball problem. They need to have more day games during the playoffs. Keep the children engaged. Baseball, as we learned from the Tigers' little uh, playoff game last week, is not maybe the greatest sport, but it is the best game. And that uh, Tigers-Twins playoff one-game match was uh, actually a sensational baseball game. Yeah, that was pretty uh, pretty exciting. And that went on for, it, <laughs> I don't know, it started at 5, it ended at 10 or something. It's, yeah. uh, you know, it was a five-hour fair, one extra innings, blah, blah, blah. Well, obviously, professional sports are an entertainment industry, and so 
it's a for-profit business, yes. ultimately, at one level. And it, it is unfortunate that t- television scheduling often determines, as more to say about determining when games are played, uh, and this is true for all of the sports, um, than what would actually suit the fans. That's yeah, and you have to assume that Philly fans, for the most part, live in eastern Pennsylvania. Uh, not western Pennsylvania, as one of our... <laughs> Boneheaded uh, local, well, he was talking about Pittsburgh, but he got confused. (laughs) Eastern Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Delaware, you know, that uh, sort of greater uh, megapolis known as uh, the East Coast. And uh, how many of them are still up at 2 in the morning, I don't know. But brain damage award for basically accommodating the Yankees and uh, dissing the Phillies. And it's uh, kind of strange because the Phillies are the reigning champs. Anyway. Huh. Well, I don't know if it's quite brain damage worthy, but I want to just quickly throw out maybe a new category. I don't know. Just bizarre. Uh, this whole episode with uh, bombing the moon. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> I think Rush Limbaugh might have been on that probe. <laughs> <laughs> they were hoping for a light show, and instead they got a blob. Yeah. Right. <laughs> a dusty, obtuse blob. Now, there probably were some, uh, you know, hopeful, uh, and apparently it's still too early to tell how successful the uh, little experiment was, but the entire enterprise was uh, concerned with uh, determining whether or not there is indeed any water on the moon. And far be it from me to... Uh, dismiss what is one uh, perhaps man's greatest wondering about the uh, celestial bodies up there but surely there must be some better use of scientific money not saying that this money needs to go towards other things um than determining whether or not there's water on the moon because quite frankly even if there is evidence of water on the moon from long ago i'm not really sure how valuable that info is I know there's somewhere out there's an astrophysicist who's just, you know, very angry at me now. And don't call in. I'll I'll do a little bit more research later. But uh, I've always been a little skeptical about the science program. It's it's often exploited or geared towards uh, what become military uses. And, uh, yes, there is a sense of wonder that is stirred by such things. But I think you have to be very selective about what you do in space. And I'm not sure that pile driving a, a an old ship into the moon uh, to see if there's any water up there. That sounds like, you know, the hillbillies driving a car off of a cliff to see how many pumpkins you could smash when you hit bottom or something. Well, there, I mean, there was some scientific validity of it. I think that the budget, you know, I, I think I read that this thing cost $75 million, the, the, the whole program, because it was basically a, 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 a separated orbit, and there were actually... The, the science that's actually involved technically in this is the second probe that's doing the data. The sweep of the, the, sweep uh, the, of the, the original, okay. quote, explosion. Right. But the, the media was hoping for a light show. And yeah. I thought, well, uh, well th- that probably deserves a brain damage because they're not going to be able to see a light show from the moon. And it's just a dust show. You know, if you want a light show, go to the local disco. They have pretty good light shows over there at the uh, Necto. Gee, it's been kind of a while since uh, local observatories have done a Pink Floyd Dark Side of the Moon laser light show. 
And Pete Grosvenor uh, cool. does lights for a number of local bands. He does some very good light shows yeah. down at the Blind Pig. But uh, without uh, those uh, plugs for uh, local music and local entertainment, worthy of your consideration from time to time. Um, but yeah, the, the science, I guess we'll find out in the next couple of weeks uh, what NASA actually reveals uh, from the second probe. But uh, the, the whole thing about shooting something into the moon... You know, I thought I, the, the phrase "shooting the moon" that's, of course, a uh, expression used in the game Hearts. Ah, yes, that's when you go for it. <clears throat> yep, so to speak. Uh, but there is something a little bizarre about this, and I am in favor of research probes like this. I think that these uh, ideas of man probe missions to Mars that would cost hundreds of billions of dollars um, are way off in the future. And uh, continuing to explore the solar system and uh, the Hubble telescope and all that other stuff, I think is great. In fact, it's interesting. That, well, the uh, Hubble's been quite worthwhile. Yeah, I think that one of the winners of one of the Nobel Prizes, which we can talk about in a second for physics, uh, created uh, the, uh, the, the scientific wherewithal to enhance the ability of the Hubble to transmit pictures. Mm -hmm. That's great. Uh, I, don't, I don't remember any political controversies about the physics <laughs> prize. Uh, but, yeah, I mentioned Rush Limbaugh. Let's start off with him and a brain damage award. Sure. Well, uh, cell damage in this man's case. He uh, One week he's praising the uh, International uh, Olympic Commission for rejecting Chicago, and uh, the conservatives cheered. And then when Barack Obama, uh, you know... You can have a legitimate debate about the worthiness of whether he deserved a win. Um, I think that the only thing that's that's frankly kind of relevant about this is that they talk extensively about the the fact that some Nobel Peace Prize awards have been won by people that might not have deserved them. Maybe it went to the wrong person. You know, you can have all kinds of legitimate debates about that. Um, I, you know, I was just looking at history. It's interesting that in 1945 they gave the Nobel Peace Prize to Cordell Hall, Secretary of State, for more than a decade under FDR, for his, quote, fight against isolationism at home and his role in establishing the U.N. He had minimal uh, involvement in those two uh, actual operations. His main role as Secretary of State believe it or not, was sort of uh, working with Congress. It was FDR that was fighting the isolationism at home and establishing the U.N. That was stuff that was going behind the scenes. Makes uh, you wonder why FDR didn't get the yeah. Peace Prize that year. Yeah, if anybody deserved a uh, Nobel Peace Prize, it was FDR. 44, yeah. Now, the, you know, the statement that the uh, Norwegians gave in, in announcing the, uh, uh, the award was something to the effect that that he had gone out of his way to establish uh, the concept of negotiations, that he had brought diplomacy back into the forefront well, uh, of American th foreign policy. That he brought America back up into, let's say, the uh, oh early 18th century as far as international law is concerned. Yeah, out of the... Uh, the unilateralism of the Bush administration and the failed uh, foreign policies. And, and by the way, you know, Obama's dealing with two wars, but he didn't start either of these right. wars. George Bush did. Uh, it's been pointed out, for instance, that Willie Brandt, um, I'm just going to use some mainstream stuff here, uh, won the uh, 
Nobel Peace Prize in 1971 for Ostpolitik, a policy, quote, of reconciliation by uh, West Germany with uh, communist Eastern Europe. Here's a quote from uh, Thornbjorn Joglin. I may be butchering his name. He's part of the Peace Prize Committee. He said, Brunt hadn't achieved much when he got the prize, but the process that had started, that ended with the fall of the, that he got started, that ended with the fall of the Berlin Wall, was the same thing as the prize going to Mikhail Gorbachev in 1990 for launching Perestroika. One can say that Barack Obama is trying to change the world, just as those personalities changed Europe. And that's the key. Uh, Lechwa Velasa, who won, said, Who, Obama? So fast? Too fast? He hasn't had the time to do anything yet. For the time being, Obama's just making proposals. But sometimes the Nobel Committee awards the prize to encourage responsible action. Let's give Obama a chance. It's a very reasonable perspective. Now let's compare that to Rush Limbaugh. Uh, He claims that Obama is an international disgrace. Really? What's he done that's uh, been so disgraceful? What? Yeah, if if that's the actual quote, that doesn't even make any sense. Uh, He's been... uh, Obama's been denounced by the likes of Limbaugh uh, before for being an international uh, celebrity, for being a political Paris Hilton, and that sort of like incredibly superficial, talentless, you know, famous for being famous type of celebrity. Um, the quote that I read from Rush Limbaugh that was uh, striking and remarkable and typical of his, uh, this, you know, garbage rhetoric uh, was that uh, Obama's being rewarded for emasculating America. That's what Europe wants to see, a weakened America. Well, what the hell are you talking about? You know, Indeed. Europe wants a, a reasonable, responsible partner to address the many difficulties in the world, e- economical, natural, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think Europe is aware of the debt that they owe America for, you know, past services rendered, World War II, et cetera. Hence their involvement in Afghanistan. Yeah. So, you know, what does Limbaugh want, really? I mean, and when they boo uh, the the, Chicago, the attempt for Chicago to get the Olympics and, and cheer, you know, why does he hate America? Why yes. does Rush hate America? Well, he hates Obama more than he loves America, that's what's that's clear. clear. Yeah. And for him to then, you know, I, I think at one point he attacked Obama and made some comment about his ears, you know, in relation to his, this will make Obama's head so big that his ears will fit. Ooh. <laughs> Rush. Scathing wit. You're fat. You're stupid. You are un-American. Then he's a... A national disgrace. I mean, He's a national disgrace, yeah. as well as an international disgrace. So, Rush, take a pill. You're an expert at that. <laughs> Chill out. <laughs> Quit doing your radio show without your space helmet. <laughs> so you're going to find that difficult. And chill out. I think uh, Hal tells that to Dave. Yeah. Chill out. Think it through. Think it through. Rush, once again... Uh, Talks without looking and leaps without getting anywhere. Yeah, well, you know, uh, and there's also the factor, too, that uh, 
the voting, I don't know when the voting is done or when the nominations are made for the Peace Prize, but it's months and months ago. And so some of this is predicated on the simple hopefulness that, okay, here's a guy who openly acknowledges that negotiations and diplomacy are the only real way forward. Yes, it's it's a no-brainer comment. Yes, it's, it's the easiest observation that you could make uh, in trying to have a realistic approach to addressing anything in the world. But the Bush-Cheney policy was to fold your hands across your chest and turn away and say, not going to talk, not going to negotiate. They right. did not negotiate. And they were proud of it. And, and Obama's made a lot of very visible efforts at negotiations. I think it's clear that he's improved uh, relations with Russia, for instance. He's uh, at least willing to talk to Tehran about mm -hmm. the uh, nuclear uh, business. Um, he's viscerally working on the peace process with Special Envoy George Mitchell. Hillary Clinton is being her roving ambassador self uh, like she was as First Lady. And there's nothing wrong with that. So if uh, the spirit of diplomacy is what it's about and getting America back at using multilateralism and using the United Nations, I don't see why that's such a disaster. It worked pretty well for quite a bit of post-war American foreign policy in many areas. And if Russia is And when it didn't work, it was when America yeah. did go alone, like in Vietnam. Right. For instance, when the Europeans were counsel counseling us behind the scenes that Vietnam was a mistake— a disaster, get out. And if Rush and his ilk really were true, you know, pro-business American conservatives, which, of course, is an utter fiction, if they really were truly what they say they are, they'd know that this is good for business. This is good for American business uh, to have international relations, to have strong ties with Europe. Um, After all, Barack gets, he gets uh, $1.4 million or something. He's donating it to charity. That'll bolster yeah. America's uh, finances <laughs> just a tad. So <clears throat> one kind of weird, I don't know if it's connected or, or related at all. It is sort of bizarrely uh, coincidental if it's not uh, related. But uh, for the first time since 1991, uh, the Dalai Lama's visit to the U.S. Capitol will not include a trip to the White House. Um, and in a, I, you know, clearly the Nobel Committee doesn't uh, have these sorts of things in mind. But there's a, a commentary by Joff Dyer in the uh, Financial Times, uh, arguing that his headline uh, is "The Dalai Lama Falls Victim to Real Politic on Beijing," and. Uh, Obama is uh, scheduled to make his first visit to China next month. And, of course, supposers are wondering if any meeting at all with the Dalai Lama would raise hackles in Beijing. And the perception is, in some circles, writes Jeff Dyer, that the Dalai Lama has been snubbed. But, again, it's a different world. It's driven by economic factors. It's driven by business. And as much as we might regret the fact that uh, the Dalai Lama hasn't been able to pop by and visit with Obama, I'm sure they will at some point. Jeff Dyer goes on to write, As well as being the largest single holder of U.S. Treasury bonds, China is now a central player in big global issues, from Iran's nuclear program, climate change, undercutting the leverage of Western governments when it comes to things like human rights. So... <laughs> We're not in a position of uh, strength necessarily in negotiations with China. They hold the majority of treasury bonds. That changes the equation.
Yes, indeed. And, and you know, real politic is maybe an ugly word, but not quite as ugly as Henry Kissinger's having received the Nobel Peace Prize. Uh, that was a sort of a real shocker. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, you know, and Rush should think about this. And interestingly, Lee Doctow, who also received it, turned down the award, uh, didn't mm. go because he argued, well, there's no real peace in Vietnam. At that point, yeah. And, of course, it's uh, ironic because in the midst of all of this uh, hoopla about the Nobel Peace Prize, you know, the media was very interested in the eight-year anniversary of our involvement in Afghanistan. Right. Well... well Busy and ugly the week it's been there. Yeah, and, and unfortunately, we've been there 30 years. I wish they would get that right. Um, n indeed, you know, direct war. Um, sure, the eight-year anniversary. Um, this will obviously, mm, hopefully, not be our longest war, but uh, it's uh, getting there. And that is most unfortunate and awards are awards, you know. Richard Burton never won the Academy Award. There have been all sorts of mistakes with awards, but yeah. uh, I don't think there's any disgrace uh, with Obama winning the award, and I don't think it's a liability. I think people that are arguing that are, are silly as well. I mean, I think that it's just a good thing. He can, you know, he, he's been humble in accepting the award, admitted that he uh, it was surprising. I didn't think it was going to happen. But uh, when you read that there were 205 names submitted, we don't know who the names were or what they quote-unquote accomplished or attempted to accomplish. But the point is is that the award is often given to people that attempt to accomplish things. It's the spirit, not the results. And uh, I would much rather see uh, Barack Obama win a Nobel Peace Prize than uh, watch uh, President Bush perpetrate a mission-accomplished stunt on the USS Abraham. Indeed. Or that's a real uh, disgrace. Yeah, that's one that'll probably not make the history books, but uh, one of those things that you tell your grandchildren about and they'll have a hard time believing that he actually did that. That's so embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> and, of course, they staged the, the flying operation. Oh, well. at great expense, too. Well, I mentioned the ugly week in Pakistan, and just in like a quick succession of days, there's a uh, suicide bombing at a U.N. office, resulting in the U.N. office being closed. The next day are reports of Pakistan bombing Taliban targets in, of course, its own country, uh, north and south Waziristan, which are in that complete, essentially lawless uh, portion of uh, Pakistan known as the uh, Northwest Frontier Territories, which abut the Afghani border. And um, so this is, according to the uh, Pakistani military, this is simply the first phase of a series of planned operations that will ultimately involve military sweeps, foot soldiers marching through uh, these regions. Uh, they have some usual suspects that they're pursuing, uh, or so they claim, still unanswered questions about the extent of the Pakistani intelligence agency's uh, remaining connections with aspects of the Afghani Taliban. But then, uh, so that was October 6th, October 8th, and then October 9th, Financial Times uh, story, uh, Taliban suicide car bomb kills 17 at Indian Embassy in Kabul, uh, wounding 70. 
Um, this is bizarre because, of course, what can the Taliban do uh, to fight back against Pakistan? They're already at war with Pakistan in Pakistan. Um, so what would be the strategically most advantageous thing? Why not throw India into the mix? Well, they are into it, the mix. That's exactly it. So the, those ripples just completely spread all the way across. And uh, now there's some questions about whether or not uh, trying to get Pakistan and India back on at least some sort of even keel relationship-wise with each other is more important than an increased offensive in Afghanistan. Yeah, and of course, you know, Bush from his bullhorn, uh, bullhorn shouting position of the amidst the rubble of 9/11, shouting about they'll hear us soon. Uh, this is a guy that didn't know who the Prime Minister of Pakistan was when he was running for president. The American media actually celebrated this uh, back in 2000. Yeah. Al Gore's a little too smart for his pants. Bush is a guy you can have a beer with. Yeehaw. Uh, and that's been the foreign policy. So, yeah, un not understanding all these uh, consequences is one of the major things. It's interesting that um, in the uh, Sunday New York Times editorial section, a reporter who actually was on the ground um, made, made a very interesting comment that I just wanted to read, Peter Baker. in uh, On the ground in Afghanistan? Yeah, when the war happened, he said, uh, and he's talking about the whole... Uh, you know, strategic rethinking and what's going to happen. And he writes, the Americans tried to accomplish what the British and Soviets failed to do by using a different way of warfare, one with few American troops on the ground while supporting the Northern Alliance largely from the air. There were so few American soldiers in Afghanistan that we never ran into one for the six months we were there. Then, when enough arrived, the reporters could embed with them. The soldiers stared wide-eyed at the primitive land, unaware that gunfire celebrating a wedding was not aimed at them. You know, so this gets back to the whole mission, the original lack of troops and the costs. And while we have the hawkish elements of America standing up and basically proclaiming that you know, this is, um, this is all in America's strategic interest and we can't possibly withdraw because we would be handing the Taliban a victory and all that stuff. Uh, we don't get any acknowledgement of the true costs that are estimating, uh, estimated to be running $2.6 billion a month. Uh, and by the way, that's uh, significantly oh. larger than any of the health care mm. uh, marginal reform business that's still being negotiated in Congress. The Republican Party has well, made... Well, that, that's socialism. That's socialism, and <laughs> how's Obama going to pay for it? Well, how are you going to pay for this $2.6 billion a month war that uh, is now about to enter, and has already entered uh, its 100 months? And still has, you know... Way past 100 months. Limited gains. Yeah. I mean... As the uh, commentator uh, you just quoted uh, noted there that the Russians, the British, everybody's had a crack at Afghanistan. It's not in the cards. Uh, I actually have a former student who uh, enlisted in the uh, Army, ended up in Afghanistan for a stint of duty, uh, came back for a visit and told me just the staggering sense of vulnerability yeah. that they felt there. They got the body armor. They got the, some of the best equipment that the world has to offer a soldier in the field. 
And it's the terrain. It's the terrain. You're just ultimately uh, incredibly vulnerable almost everywhere you go. Yeah, it, it's not the jungle, but it's the, the problem of the 360-degree problem. Yep. You know, you've got eyeballs. You can see. If you have very good peripheral vision, uh, you know, maybe 135, maybe 150 degrees at the most uh, if you're uh, one of those great athletes that has that peripheral vision mm -hmm. over here. But it's tough when it's 360. And, the you know, these small outposts that the United States is protecting – is definitely strategy that's going to be rethinked, as well as uh, some of this uh, sort of sketchy intelligence that's used yeah. for unmanned drone bombing by CIA people who uh, probably don't read uh, any Pashto, don't know too right. much about the history. And, I mean, the terrain is just incomprehensible. We're not talking here about anything that Americans would even understand. These mountains are... E are significantly bigger than the Rockies. I mean, these mountains are sort of, you got to think of the Rockies with the Appalachian Mountains on top of the Rockies. <laughs> Only, you know, this is, you know, it's barren land. And, and I culture groups speaking different languages on yeah. other sides of the mountains. It's uh, And also a very unfortunate, I think, Western perspective about national borders. Mm. Uh, there was a little bit of a peripheral discussion of this on another subject over the week regarding Turkey and Armenia. But let's remember yeah. that the the borders were created by the British. There is no border in the sense of the people on the ground. This is really a Pashtunistan mm -hmm. that we're not acknowledging on the map. It's like the Kurdistan problem. It's like the greater Armenia problem. A Kurdistan that, you know, encompasses parts of Syria, Iraq, Turkey, and Iran. Mm -hmm. And we don't understand this. We think that maps are nice, jagged lines, borders where fixed positions. You know, Toledo and ended up in Ohio because of some mistake or some dispute. You know, I, I don't remember the whole, the whole detail, but there's a little little thing in the in the map that shows that the border was redrawn. Yeah. Uh, Fifty four forty, whatever. You know, America's had these disputes about, you know, the Mason-Dixon line mm -hmm. and latitude and whatnot. And this is a Western perspective on map-making. Those maps weren't drawn by the Pashtuna pe people. And I think when Baker concludes his uh, discussion, what are America's interests in Afghanistan? How can they be achieved? Who are our friends? Who are our enemies? And how can we tell them apart? It's the very idea of victory. Is it a futile concept? Yet, what are the consequences of defeat? These are the big questions. These are the strategic questions. Eight years on, still no answers. Obama's going to have to deal with this reevaluation, but I think that he needs to get realistic. Um, because my personal opinion is I think we can stay in Afghanistan for 100 years. We're never going to accomplish anything resembling a treaty with Germany or Japan. Right. Um, these people will be fighting us till the last blood is shed. And it's serious. And the question is, why do we want to continue this? Right. Isn't there something better we can do? There has do? to be an end game. There has to be a 
You know, I, I once knew a, a completely alcoholic contractor who once gave me some good advice. And he was talking about estimating a job. 